March is Women's History Month, and today on Savvy Citizen, we're going to be speaking with a real trailblazer here in Gaston County, Gastonia Police Assistant Chief Nancy Brogdon. We're going to be talking with Chief Brogdon about her 17-year career here in Gastonia's Police Department and how she's risen to the rank of Assistant Chief, the first Latina woman to ever hold that role. So we're here on Savvy Citizen today. We're talking with Assistant Chief Nancy Brogdon, and she's with the Gastonia Police Department. We're speaking with her for Women's History Month, and we're also joined by Alex Brooks. He's the Education Manager at the Gaston County Museum of Art and History. Alex is a uh, frequent guest, one of our favorite guests, and we're glad to have him with us as well. Thank you, Adam. Yes, thank you for having us. Um, got Vincent Wong here. He's joining me as my co-host today, and we're going to be talking to Chief Brogdon for Women's History Month and talking to her about um, being the first Latina uh, elevated to the role of assistant chief at Gastonia Police Department. And this is a role now that you've been in for, what, a little over a year? It will be a year in July. Okay. So just starting out there, like, what does that mean for you and for um, kind of little little girls in our community kind of coming from a similar background to see somebody that looks like them in, in a leadership role at the, at the police department? God, that's a, that's a big question. I, th- I figured <laughs> I'd start with a real softball yeah. question. <laughs> um, quite frankly, you know, this was not something I planned for or had a, uh, a vision for in my career. Uh, I was, I started 17 years ago and I had a specific goal I wanted to meet, and that was just to be, like, a financial crimes detective. That's mm. all I wanted to do. And so I kind of focused on that early on in my career and took training and uh, got all the uh, tools in my tool belt, so to speak, right. to prepare me for an opportunity in the detective bureau to um, to pursue that career uh, dream and so or career goal. And I achieved it early on in my career, probably five, six years and then just as you progress in the police department, you start seeing doors or potentials that you may, I guess, say, dream or envision in your head. Like, how, how could I help in this aspect of it? And sure. then so supervision kind of came in that realm of things. And so I did this crazy thing and put him for sergeant's exam <laughs> uh, a couple of times and, and finally made it through. And, and I realized I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, at first it kind of becomes a little like a babysit. I call it babysitting on night shift because mm-hmm. it's you get promoted, demoted. You get promoted to, to that uh, supervisory role, but then you get demoted to night shift. Uh, and, and all you got to put in your dues. Yes. And then it's all the people and all the kids and I call them kids because I was a kid myself when I started this. Um, go on night shift. That's where they start. Mm-hmm. So that's why I used to call it babysitting because it's all the new rookies. It's all the rookies. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And you kind of always like this, like, oh, my God, I don't know if this was a good <laughs> idea. Um, it, it literally, uh, it took me six months to finally realize, you know, I, I got this. Mm. Like, this is going to be good. And then you realize that you could really be a good mentor and and, and help form and mold all these new officers that are coming in and, and, and just kind of, you know, give them the tools that they're going to need to be successful in their career. So that kind of really embraced with me. And um, and then I just, it just kind of, you know, I was able to be a, 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 eventually made it back up to Detective Bureau as a supervisor, okay. which I loved. 
And I really enjoyed it because that's where I came from. Sure. Um, and then you get to the point where you're like, okay, so I've done this. I've been here for X amount of years. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to figure something out. What's my plan? And I always used to tell young officers and that are coming in, you need to make a five-year plan. Like, what do you, where do you see yourself in five years? And start trying to, you know, pursue those goals. And how are you going to na- do that? And so the next step was, okay, well, what's the next step from a sergeant is a captain. So then I kind of started pursuing that, and I was blessed after doing it a couple of times. Um, I, I was promoted to that. But I never really, really envisioned me being in this role. I never thought that that was a possibility, mm. um, and not in, a, not in a bad way. I just didn't see myself in that, that leadership role. I was okay being a captain. I never really saw myself being a chief or an assistant chief or anything like that. But when the opportunity presented itself and I was like, you know, I, I think I can handle that. I think that could be a, a, a career goal of mine. And long and behold, here I am. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about, you know, mentoring officers and helping them. Who are some mentors that you had or people that you looked up to as you're going through your career? Oh, God, that's a good question. So I'll tell you my first mentor, and that would be Chief Terry Salt. He's actually the one that hired me, and he he was one of those uh, chiefs that had a, had an open door, and over talked to you in the hallway and kind of picked your brain, you know. And sometimes we kind of draw ourselves to people that kind of you know there's something about them and that just start conversation with you. And he motivated me. He's like, well, what do you want to do here? And he'd ask me all kinds of those questions that th- questions that I would never really thought in my head. And he's like, have you ever thought about per- you know going to graduate school? I was like. Yeah, but I don't know if that's something I really want to do. And and he started talking to me about, you know, Pfeiffer University. And he came from Charlotte and mm-hmm. told me about the program. And it's a cohort and da-da-da. And, and so he kind of planted that seed, okay. right? And he was one of those people that uh, kind of started that mentoring with me. And then I had supervisors that, you know, also helped me through the way. And um, But he's one that really stands out to me the most. You talked a little bit knowing that you wanted to do financial crimes and work in the detective unit there. That's, that's fairly specific. What kind of led you down that path? Um, I liked accounting. Wow. <laughs> uh, I know that sounds crazy. I'm, I'm, there should be a, like a nerd button somewhere that's flashing. So I appreciate that. Um, and that I tell, I'm one. Yeah, you're right. I am one of those nerds, and, uh, or was one of those nerds. You're in at good the company time. here. We're yeah, we're on a podcast. Good. We're all nerds here. Yeah. And so, um, at, when I was going to college, um, I had a little bit of accounting background, and so that was kind of a job that I did uh, while I was going to college. So it was kind of easy for me. It kind of in my background, and then it just kind of like flourished. I started taking classes, and it really, really enticed me. And so once I started. Uh, in my law enforcement career, I started diving into it more. And it really just perked my interest. And I was like, you want to find the trail. Mm. With with financial crimes, it's like, it's like a, I can't explain, it's like a, like a maze runner kind of thing where you can, you're always, there's a paper trail yeah. somewhere. There's some digital trail somewhere. And that's what enticed me to find that. And like, yeah, totally geek. Sorry. Well, no, and it's, it's cool because it's like, it's a little bit of a different path than like, I think a lot of people that go into policing mm-hmm. kind of go in it. It's like, oh, I, you know, I want to, I want to work with the community. I want to be out on the streets. It, it, 
and not to say that you didn't want to do that, but it just that's that's a kind of a unique angle to come at it from. Yeah, like I said, I think it just uh, something that was you always want to help people. I mean, we always come into this profession for a reason. Everybody has a different reason. Um, mine uh, came at a very young age, uh, wanted to be a police officer. I was seven years old when I wanted to be a police officer. Wow. And that just kind of stuck with me and then eventually kind of grew into what focus in, in law enforcement. But at the end of the day, and all the ultimate goal is to be a, a servant to the community to help, I, as cheesy as that may sound. but Now, talking about going into accounting and understanding the paper trail and stuff, did you ever want to work for a different agency, like a federal agency or a national agency? Yes. Um, <laughs> so I've been very blessed uh, here in Gastonia and just the different things in the network and relationships that we have with our federal counterparts, especially here in Charlotte. So we were, I was part of the Secret Service Task Force. Mm -hmm. And so they tried to recruit me many times because a lot of the cases that I did involved them and their agents. So, yep. you know, it was it was a big collaborative effort when we worked big cases together. Um, but I was just not willing to move. Mm. Um, I came, I'm from Chicago. So okay. uh, cold weather, you know, my whole life lived up there. Fast, very fast paced living. Sure. And I have found Gastonia and North Carolina. And I just, I fell in love with this area. And I was not willing to trade that off for anything and so sometimes you know yeah I probably could have made more money and you know have these accolades and working for United you know, States Secret Service but at the end of the day this is what made me happy and that's why I'm still here. Yeah, here you on the hustle and bustle my wife and I had lived outside of DC for about a year and it's it's a fantastic city but it's it very much just it's a completely different culture. Yes it is I tell my parents my family still lives up there so I tell them I said I, I love you, and I will come visit. But between you know, yes. Septemberish, <laughs> Octoberish, and then when the you know May Juneish before all H E L L grow, you know, gets mm -hmm. gets hot in in Chicago. So yeah, I don't blame you there. There's there's definitely like you got to hit that sweet spot of time to visit. Otherwise, it's like <laughs> I'm not going to go and be miserable. That's right. <laughs> so as we talk about like Women's History Month and your role in the community and being a role model for people and a leader in the community. How does that make you feel? Honestly, I'm honored. I, I am. When people come up to me, you know, I, I try to involve myself in the community and community events. And, you know, we started our, our Spanish Facebook page with the city mm -hmm. uh, from, or the, from the police department. And just seeing the feedback that our department has received or I have received personally just in some of my achievements um, is definitely an honor Um just to be looked in that manner because I, I don't look at my, I don't take myself that seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do have two daughters at home. And so me having sort of say making them proud and know that they can achieve anything they want, no matter how big of a dream you have or how small of a goal you may have that you have, we all have the potential to achieve it and there's nothing that you can't do. Um, one thing I always tell my daughters, and I kind of still tell myself, I said, don't let anybody ever tell you no. Mm. Somebody tells you no, then you find the way where there's going to be that open door, where there will be a yes. Out of curiosity, going um, back a few years, you said that you had first started wanting to become a law enforcement officer at the age of seven. Yes. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you get any support then? I mean... 
Um, as far as my family? Yeah, I mean, you know, gr- growing up <laughs> in a big city, which obviously, you know, it probably probably has a, a at least perceived bigger crime rate than Gaston County. Yes. And then, you know, coming from your your family had moved here, um, uh, they immigrated in. Was there was there any thought, I mean, as far as, did what did they think about that? So, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so, I'll, I'll give you, I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, so, I am the oldest daughter of Mexican-American family. Uh, my mom and my dad migrated to the United States. My dad is the youngest of his family, and my grandfather was a merchant. So he would have to travel with my grandfather and my grandmother a lot to Chicago. Okay. So they they had, like, their visas to come in and out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fast forward. So my grandparents, uh, they obviously, they have property, and uh, their home is in Mexico. Okay. And they would go back. So when they decided to make their final trip, like this is the last trip we're making and we're coming back home or we're staying back home, my father, being the youngest, was a little, um, how can I put it, Um, had a mind of his own. (laughs) (laughs) And he wanted to stay and make that American dollar so that he can achieve his American dream. And while he was visiting Mexico back and forth because he wanted to still work, and he was young, he was like 17, 18 years old, um, he met my mom in Mexico. Okay. And so uh, they had a long distance relationship, and he escorted her for a little while, and they ended up getting married uh, in Mexico. They're super young. My dad was, I think, 18, and my mom was 17, 16, 17. Wow. Real, real young. And um, my dad knew um, kind of what he wanted to bring his, his wife back to the States, and that's how I come into the picture. So my mom illegally immigrated from Mexico to Chicago, um, got pregnant, obviously, and they had me. Their goal uh, as, a, as a family was to work hard, gather as much money as possible so they can come back home to my where my dad lives mm-hmm. and build him a home. And my dad wanted to build a or start a um, tiling company or a brick uh, business okay. uh, in Mexico to help build homes and stuff like that was his vision. I mean, this is how young they were. A yeah. masonry type business. Yes, mm. and so uh, we lived in Chicago till I was three years old, and that's when my dad is like, "We got enough money, we're going to be able to, you know, afford this dream back home." Mm-hmm. And so they end up leaving, and he did really good. He started picking up, but then just financially things were not kind of working out. So mm-hmm. dad had to come back to the states, leaving my mom and me. In Mexico, and having the long-distance family relationship where he can send money home. And fast-forwarding to that, so I went to school in Mexico. Believe it or not, I actually learned English before I learned Spanish. Oh, wow. uh, Because my parents worked, and my mom allowed a, I remember, elderly white female, like Caucasian. I think she was, like, Polish. Mm -hmm. And so she taught me English. Hmm. I was with her more than I was with my parents. So I knew better English than I did Spanish. So when I um, moved back to Mexico, I forgot English, to say the least, and because I was going to school. Right. And so I learned to read, write, um, speak in Spanish. Well, you know, marital stuff happens, and my mom tells my father. In the meantime, I have a younger sister. We're three years apart. And my mother gives my father an ultimatum, like... We're either going to be together as a family in one place or we're not. And because my mom was tired, you know, 10 months out of the year, she doesn't have a husband. 
Yeah, that's hard. And so he, my dad had to make a decision, and he made the decision that he was going to come back and get his family. And so that's how, you know, we came back to the States and back to Chicago. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I empathize with immigrants and people coming from poverty and people coming from foreign countries just because of just numerous things, you know. Um, look at what's going on in the world right now. Oh, yeah. So, um, I, yeah, that's a little bit of my background. So now being, I'm putting back the picture about my parents being uh, thumbs up on me, being the, a police officer was a very hard task t- to convince them. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, I was very hard-headed. I know it's hard to believe I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest of four. Okay. And I'm the female. And I come from, and let me just paint the picture, Catholic, strict, Mexican mm. family. Okay. There's like certain things you shall do, yep. and there's things you shall not do, yep. and so I lived a very strict life, which I'm very grateful. My parents were strict for a reason; they were protective of us. So there's a lot of things I didn't get to experience, but that's okay. I didn't get to experience some of those good things I thought, but that was for me to be protected. And I mean, I as a mom now, obviously, I understand their stands, sure. but um. Yeah, my dad and my mom did not want me to go into law enforcement. Uh, finished high school. I told my father I wanted to go and, and pursue a criminal justice degree, and he's like, okay. <laughs> and so <laughs> um, I ended up going to a local community college, and I was very poor. And my dad's like, listen, I can only help pay for an associate's degree. Okay. He said, after that, you're on your own. So whatever it is that you want to pursue, um, I can only financially support you. Mm-hmm. for this and so I had to take it upon myself to see what my next you know what my path was what my goal was and so I ended up enrolling in the university and I still pursue my criminal justice degree and so in my junior year my father's like you know Nancy policing sounds cool but you know I think you'd be a great attorney or a lawyer and I was like uh. <laughs> and I said dad you know that requires more school right. more money right. and I said like if we live in Chicago like I will live my entire life to pay a school <laughs> you know school loan back for yeah. a, for a law degree and he literally had me on that boat for a little while until finally I was like dad I love you it's my senior year I'm not gonna do that I want to be a police officer and so um like I said, they were supportive, and then I migrated south. I left home. I kind of left the nest. I, like I said, I was the, I was the one kid. It was a little rebellious, <laughs> and um, I ended up here. And so once, now that they've seen me and they know what I do, obviously they still worry, right? Being oh, on the, being sure. on the road, being a five foot nothing, mm. you know, <laughs> little uh, fi- they call me a little fireball. Um, they were always worried about my safety, and you know, just being away from home and. Uh, but now that they see all the things that I've done, all the things, of course, they're, they're proud. They're proud. And they know that I've done what was in my heart. And I've pursued what was in my heart. And I, I could not really see myself doing anything else but this. Well, and it's, it's very much a, there's, there's several professions that are male-driven. But I, I would have to think that policing <laughs> is one of the, the biggest. The li- yeah. And, I mean, just even aside from from the race ethnicity side of things, just being a female in policing has got to be its own challenge. Absolutely, and it, it not to take a not to fault anybody for that, but you are um, challenged. 
And the guys will challenge you. They want to see if you got that thick skin and you're going to be able to be a good backup. When poop hits the fan, they want to know that you're going to be there. And, yeah, I mean, but I and I get it. I don't think that they mean any malice by it. Um, maybe a long time ago, you know, it was seen as, like, well, this is only a male's job, not mm-hmm. a female's job. There's a place for females, and it's not <laughs> here. But I think that has really evolved, and that has changed. Sure. Um, I always say, you know, I, girls can do the job just as well, or if not, better. And that's kind of been my thought process with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I did face some challenges, but like I said, I don't, I, I don't let people just tell me no, unless it's my boss. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but if you tell me, no, you can't do that. You've made a mistake cause I will prove you wrong. And that was kind of my, I think that was my drive. I think, you know, I just, you know, praise you for your resiliency. Cause I think, you know, you have the family dynamic, you have a male driven profession and then you have your, you know, background and ethnicity against a, a population that might not trust law enforcement, right? So you're getting it from every angle, and you're still persevering and do that. So can you talk a little bit about all the other obstacles as well? <sighs> mm. Be more specific. I guess with the, <laughs> with the Latinx community sure. and understanding your role in law enforcement and oh, yeah. actually trying to provide outreach and... Bridging the gap. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think that was one of the reasons my parents did not want me to go into law enforcement because they had had bad experiences Mm. with law enforcement and the fear of law enforcement, right, and getting deported and getting arrested. And that even though we lived up in, you know, in a multicultural, in Chicago, I mean, that's pretty a melting pot up there, right? But there's still that, uh, what do you call it, Uh, holding back. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to report certain things because one – um, I may not speak the, the language, right. two, they may not understand me, and three, I might get deported, right? So that's always that been that in people's mind. Now that I have that kind of in my tubo, I've learned to embrace it and use it to benefit more so the community, to be out there and tell them, listen, I know where you come from. I was yeah. there. My family came from there. Like, that is, uh, you know, my, that's where my foundation started so I do understand that and helping people feel more um safe as far as being able to report crimes I think the biggest thing for us is folks enduring all this you know violence and crime against them and them not having the tools to report it or feel that they can't report it and so just going out there and being that voice and say listen I'm not the immigration I'm a police officer. I'm here to help you. I'm not going to ask you about your status. That's not my business. I'm, mm-hmm. That's not what I do. I'm here to help you. So if so, a crime has been committed against you, I want to. I want. I want to help. And um, so I guess that's what been. What, it has been a little bit of a challenge, but I think you know, just thinking out of the box and starting that, like that Facebook page in Spanish and putting information out like that in that language people seeing us in a community event collaborating with you know recently we collaborate with wow a lot and that community and now people see our faces they know our voices they can call us by our first name uh we're very accessible they they have our phone numbers they can send us messages um that's been super fruitful uh and, and fantastic for our agency as a whole 
um, here in Gastonia. Well, and Alex, you guys just did, um, in the fall, you did a big Dia de los Muertos celebration at the museum, and you yeah. guys partnered with the with the police department for that as well, right? We did, yeah. Actually, um, we started up, um, actually, that was one of the reasons, um, it, that was actually the reason I <laughs> ended up meeting with Nancy, um, was because we we noticed actually their efforts in reaching out to the the local community and everything. We we noticed um, their partnerships with WOW and and all the different events that they were holding and um, all those different initiatives that they had and that they were having a, a pretty successful time of it. Yeah. Um, and so we our programs assistant Patrick Step had reached out to Nancy and and asked would she be willing to be part of our um, Latinx community panel. Uh, which we're trying to bring, you know, the actual community in to help us ad- advise us on our efforts um, to reach out to that community as well at the museum. And she came and was full of ideas and um, brought uh, Officer Alvaro James with him, with her. And um, yeah, we've we've joined them for multiple events. Uh, the museum has uh, since then, and they've joined us for events. And it's it's actually it's it's pretty cool. I I can say that, you know, you you see quote-unquote success and everything, looking at, like, the social media and everything and seeing, oh, you know, they got so many lights and so many mm-hmm. engagements and everything. And, oh, yeah, okay, obviously people are looking at it. But actually being out at those events and seeing the officers walk around and seeing the community engage with them and everything uh, is, is actually, that's pretty inspiring, to be honest, because it, it is an active, an active, very active engagement um, where you see, you know, kids running up to them and, and people at, you know, the various vendor stalls and everything calling out to folks and, and what have you to the different officers and, and waving to them and having them come over. And, you know, I, I've, I've seen Officer Jaime's be handed various unsundry food things <laughs> that, you know, I'm, I'm extremely jealous of, right, you know. Right, And, uh, you know, Alvaro, hook me up. Um, but, uh, yeah, and and I have to say, too, it's, it's also inspiring um, – you know, I know, Nancy, you had mentioned a little bit about, you know, being challenged on the way up, but every single one of those events that I've, I've gone to, um, I've seen Chief Brogdon walk through, and every officer there almost but stands at attention and, and calls out to her and everything. Mm-hmm. And you can see the, the respect is, is palpable. I mean, it's, it's definitely something, you know, she's earned. So, you know, Chief, you talked a little bit about um – introducing the Latinx community to law enforcement, but it goes both ways, right? It's introducing uh, your command staff and the other officers into kind of your culture a little bit. And can you talk a little bit about that? Um, It's funny you mentioned that. So, you know, Chief Britton, and everybody knows Chief Britton, he will not turn down food. If you know him (laughs) well, unless it's vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Unless it's vegetables, he's there. And so when we first started this project, we in-house, you know, I've been here 17 years along with Alvaro Jaimez, and um, we were engaged a long time ago with some smaller events, but, you know, it can't be a one-woman plan or a one-man plan. It has to, we need help, right, Us because we still have our regular jobs to do. And so we, and then I moved around and he moved around, so it kind of watered down a lot. Well, when I was able to move into some of these positions, we put together a Latinx group within our department with our Latinx officers, Spanish-speaking officers, and we put together, that's when the, you know, light bulb, and we did a Facebook, and we talked about putting podcasts on the Facebook, which we're still working on, Mm -hmm. Um, but putting training and education and thinking about doing events, this, that, and the other. So we proposed it to Chief Britton. He was open. 
and we're like, hey, you know, this is a community that you will be support. They're very embracing. I said they're hesitant, but once they love you, they, you're like you're it. Yeah, your family, right? Yes. And so um, I warned him. I said, listen, people may be hesitant a little bit. I mean, they're hesitant with those. Even I speak Spanish and they feel they can come talk to me in Alvaro all the time because they've known us for many, many years. I said, but be prepared. You know, they may be a little hesitant. So yeah. we started really small and we were invited to um, – El Sombrero behind Cox Road. It's, oh, yeah. a, it's a Colombian uh, place. You can eat breakfast and lunch, and it's amazing. Um, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. So we, they invited us there, and we sat down, and it, w- the, it was kind of like coffee with a cop sure. kind of concept, but for that community. And so we advertised it. We put on our, we call it FaceTube, our, our, our Facebook page, and we just blew it up. And sure enough, everybody was prepared. We went down there and it was like, he was like a celebrity and he didn't understand that. So I had to explain to him, you are the chief of police. This is a big deal in folks that come from different countries. Like you get to meet the chief of police and he comes here and talks to you. That's a big deal. And so people wanted to take pictures with him. And like, like I said, food. Right. Sure. He loved it. Yeah, and I then, bet. So he got so, um, what do you call it? Um, he just em- embracing the community. Like, mm. okay, I could like, I could, I could do this. And so we did a, um, what do you call it? Uh, we put something up at the pavilion, kind of like come meet the chief. Hmm. Uh, you know, during COVID, we had we couldn't be in like close right. areas. So what we decided is to put it out at the pavilion, and we had speakers out, and we invited the community to come and ask questions. Okay. And so I was his interpreter, and we were so like we were kind of worried, and nobody would show up, you know, because we don't know how the sure. you know how the water flows, and we were so blessed after that invitations just came out of the waterworks and Mm. um he's been so supportive and he he loves it he's enjoyed it i said anytime there's food involved he's in um and he it was funny he was like hey so where are we going next week where are we going to eat lunch (laughs) um but yeah he he's been exposed to a, a lot of it and i tell the guys and gals you know sometimes we have to take ownership and responsibility to expose our colleagues because they may not feel comfortable. They may not know what they can say, what they can do, what they can ask. I said, it's our job to kind of, what do you call it, introduce them, like do that initial introduction. And so when we started partnering, partnering up like WOW and doing a couple events with them, we invited our colleagues. And when they went out there, they're like, oh, my God. That, like They had a blast. Just interact. They may not know to speak the language, but just interacting with the community and just seeing how embracing they are. And, you know, they just want to take a picture with you mm-hmm. and um, they're, you know, they're giving you food and, you know, I always, I always say food brings everybody together. Right. Yeah. Um, but they enjoyed it. And I think now they're like, Hey, when are we going to have the next event? Like I want to be there. You know, they want to participate. We have, we brought up our toys and so people can walk through our command uh, post van mm-hmm. and some of our police cars where the kids can go inside the police car and take pictures and things like that and so it's been like a uh, it's been slow but now I feel like we're in such a good place with the community that like I said invitations haven't stopped like hey can you come to our church talk to our youth group can you come here can you come to the museum can, you know and it's just so rewarding it's been so supportive um that's that was our goal is to kind of 
bridge the gap, right, and for the community to feel comfortable uh, engaging us. When you, you talk about something like, you know, just something as simple as having a police car there and having kids, you know, being able to get in the car and, and, and you know, turn on the lights and siren and do something like that, it seems very simple, but, like, when you're you're talking about minority communities that maybe the experience with law enforcement hasn't been a good one, right? that can make a huge difference in terms of maybe shifting that mindset of like, oh, the police aren't just here to potentially get you in trouble or, <laughs> or this is going to be the worst day of your life. They're actually here to help you. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we get a little tiffed when people call us, uh, you know, and I'm not going to say I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say anything mean about it, but when they call us and say, my kid doesn't want to go to school and they call the police, like that puts us in a bad place. Right. And like you're, we should not be doing, that's a parenting mm-hmm. situation. You should not be calling the police on your 10 year old who doesn't want to go to school. And that's just some, something we want to change that in the community that we're there to help. Um, not, you know, uh, call us when you need help. You know, if something bad's going on, call us. That's what we're here for. Unfortunately, yes, there's going to be times where we may have to take somebody to jail. That's part of our job. And just educating and in, in training the community about laws, right? Some people don't know the laws. Oh, yeah. And just being able to put that in perspective, like, hey, you can't leave your kids at home alone, right? Um, you can't, you know, there's things that you can't do. You need to be wearing your seatbelt. You mm-hmm. need to... You need to make sure you're not speeding. That way, police won't pull you over. And just little things like that that they feel very appreciative that we can put out there for them. Because even though they pick up a DMV book, right, to read it, they can't read English. Mm. So how are they going to understand right. what the laws are and the regulations are? So I feel like, you know, there are they are at a little bit of a disadvantage. I know the law doesn't, you know give you a, a, what do you call that, freebie because you don't speak or you can't read the language. I mean, right, the law is black and white. Exactly. You, know, you, do, you do it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. But, I, you know, my wife's a criminal justice professor at UNC Charlotte, and she's talked about how there's so much that's put on police officers in terms of not just having to enforce the laws, but you're also <laughs> called to be social workers a lot of times and having to be counselors and, and therapists in, in different domestic violence type situations. Yes. And it's like things that officers, you know, that, that go through BLET aren't necessarily trained for, but you just have to kind of learn on the job. Absolutely. And, you know, when you said that, it really took me back to my, you know, one to three years as a rookie uh, on patrol. I'm going to domestic, like I never had a domestic. So you're having to now help these people navigate their domestic situation. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like I had to be a mediator and a therapist and, you know, I still have to do my job. Yeah. Right. But at the end of the day, we want to resolve things without having to put handcuffs on people. Right. I mean, if we could do that, if we could do that all the time, trust me, officers don't want the extra paperwork. <laughs> they don't. Let's be frank. They don't. Yeah. You know, they want to go to a, a disturbance and be like, ho- hopefully they can meet, medi- you know, be the mediators and leave and be done with it. Right. Um, but yeah, I, we get put on, there's a lot of expectations, a lot of expectations to, to be able to, to be, what do you call it? Very um, proficient in a therapist or being a counselor. Sure. Um, uh, and sometimes that's, you know, it's not comes, not, not comes with everybody. And, and it, and it, I'd say, I'd say, Officers that have been there maybe 
five to seven years, they may be a little more level-headed where they have experienced calls for service while they figure out how to mitigate, how to navigate some of the situations. But at the end of the day, we're still not those subject matter experts. We're not. Yeah. I mean, you know, but we're expected to be able to do that uh, on our day-to-day. And I think getting back to what you were talking about with kind of the outreach to the community, I think I would I would guess that so much of that helps you'll never see it in like a statistical analysis but like if you're able to make these connections with the community there's more trust there some of those barriers of people not being willing to report crime are going to be broken down people that um and maybe some things don't end up becoming crimes because you can intervene sooner and so just having those channels of communication you can't put it in a report and say oh we've had a 13 percent reduction or whatever because of these outreaches, but you know it's working. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even if it's one person, right, that we can, uh, you know, change that mindset or, or help them understand things better where it doesn't get them in trouble. You know, it's all about, for us, we want to educate first. We want to educate everybody before we really enforce. You know, you kind of give them that warning, give them a little bit of education, like, hey, don't do that again. You know, obviously, it depends on the severity of the situation. But sure. Yeah, I mean, if it's murder, I mean, yeah. it's... You can't be like, Don't do that again. Yeah, Timmy, you can't yeah. stab them 17 times. It's, right. it's, it's wrong. Right, and so that's a lot of, you know, people think that we're just out uh, looking for something to do. Trust me, we are plenty busy. <laughs> like, you know, there's only so many guys and gals that are out here answering calls for service for 80,000-plus mm-hmm. city, Yeah. right? And so, you know, it's just explaining to, to folks and educating them that... You know, we're just not out here looking to take people to jail. Like I said, it's a lot of paperwork. So if officers can avoid that, they they would. Yeah. They certainly would. So to put you on the spot a little bit, uh-huh. if you're, one of your daughters or a young girl comes and talks to you about wanting to become a police officer, what do you tell them? Um, It definitely takes some – it has to come from your heart. One, It's not just like an imagination thing where like, man, that looks so cool. It really, yeah, it does look cool, but it really has to be something that comes from your heart and and have a passion to serve. Because at the end of the day, we are servants. We're servants of our community. And so if my daughter came to me, just just from the things that I have endured, um, I would be able to better guide her, right? Um, And better prepare her for a career in law enforcement. Um, Yeah, I mean... That, yeah, I, I would encourage it. Absolutely. I was that seven-year-old da- you know, daughter that had to kind of figure things on her own because her dad didn't want her to be <laughs> in law enforcement. I wanted to go into the military. My mom's like, absolutely <laughs> not. And, you know, like I said, you know, I'm the oldest and I'm a female. So there was a particular role that fit for my family. And so, uh, yeah, I, I encourage it. If it's something that it's in your heart to do, I, I will support it. And I'll encourage it, and I will help guide you. You um, you mentioned – I'm going to put you on the spot as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, some of the things that, you're in, that you've endured, and obviously, you know, law enforcement has to endure a lot of things. Um, you know, you get to see the both, both the best and the worst of humanity, I would yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't ask you about the worst because <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't know who all is who listening. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll keep it out of tender ears way, but – what would be, I'll ask you about two, what would be 
probably the the craziest thing you've seen um just in terms of of we'll go amusing but also what would be the most heartwarming thing you think you've seen um craziest thing my crazy and your version of crazy may be two different things so i i can't think of anything specific in my career that I've seen crazy. I mean, nothing surprises me anymore. It really doesn't. And you're <laughs> right. I have seen a lot of bad situations. I've, I've seen people that, you know, were, you know, were killed by another human being and you having to be there and be that first officer to see it and realizing, hmm, this is going to be a crime scene. Yeah. And, having to navigate those feelings so it doesn't affect you, but it does. It doesn't matter what shield you put on, yeah. it does affect you. And you'll still go home, and there's there's things in my head that they'll never go away. Mm-hmm. It's just me as an adult figuring it out, how I'm going to process it, and how I'm not going to not let it affect me. Um, that's probably the wor- one of the worst things. I'm a big... Uh, I'm, I love kids. I love dogs. Um, everybody will tell you that. Um, and I love the elderly. They're like, mm-hmm. they are my weak weaknesses. Um, probably one of the nicest thing that I've, you know, wh- when you come into law enforcement, you're like, if I can make a difference in just one person, I have done something good in my career. Like I'm yeah. good. It's all good. And I, I will never forget this. It's very, uh, a soft spot for me. And you we were talking about being uh, a therapist and a counselor. Uh-huh. And I was in the detective bureau. I was a supervisor then. It's probably been about five years ago. A uh, lady comes in, knocks in the detective bureau, asking for me. And I come out there, and I was like, she looks familiar, and I don't know, you know. And I was like, I'm thinking she's coming to file a complaint, you know, mm-hmm. or she's coming to ask a question. She's a female. I'm a female. So I'm thinking she's looking for some feedback or some advice. And she's like... I don't know if you remember me. And I was like, I'm so sorry. What's your name? And she comes to tell me. I was like, okay. Sounds familiar. She's like, you came and talked to me one time. She's like, I was uh, a lady of the night that puts it out there. Sure. Um, you know, in be- reading between the lines. Yes. And I had a call for service for her, and I had to um, paint a picture for her. And I said, if you want to live to see your kids grow and your grandkids and being part of their lives – you got to figure out a way to get out of this lifestyle. And I, I can't remember half the stuff that I said because I was, pr- I, she said, it's been like seven or eight years ago. So if you think back, I was a rookie. I must have been still wet behind the ears, you mm-hmm. know, three years in. And this lady could be my mom. Oh, like wow. she could be my mom. And she said, I will never forget what you told me. And I just wanted to come and thank you. Wow. And she's like, I got out of that lifestyle. I find a job. Um, she, you know, she had fallen into the, you know, drugs. And that's what kind of put her in that place, in that situation. And she said, what you said to me resonated with me. And I decided to change my ways and to, you know, to better myself. And so that right there melted. I mean, like, in spontaneously, tears in my eyes. And that made, I mean, that right there makes my whole career. Yeah. And just for her to come look for me, to find me and just thank me. I, I, we don't do our job for people to come thank us. We don't. When we but when we get it, that's you guys don't understand like that 
happy feeling in our heart that people will take the time to just to thank us, you know, and that really was probably the nicest thing um, and the softest thing, sweetest thing that someone's done. And to me, that is like, that's all I ever wanted. <laughs> like this made my career. Yeah, that's I've, hard to top. That. I've made, yeah. I've made, uh, 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 I've helped somebody. And that's all I wanted to do. If I can change somebody's life, uh, have them turn it around or help them in any shape or form. And, um, you know, I'll, yeah, it's, yeah, it is definitely hard to top that. So. Excellent. Do you have, um, do you see any trends um, in terms of the future of law enforcement as far as um, recruiting with more women, more minorities? How do you see that panning out? You know, I'll tell you this, our, our agency, our department and Chief Britton, um, he, uh, we embrace diversity 100%. We have diversity. I mean, you're looking at diversity. <laughs> so um, we have a lot of uh, go-getters at our agency that go out and find these. I call them kids now because they are, my goodness. They are, <laughs> we are hiring 20 and 21-year-olds. And I've, you know, I'm a bonus mom to tw- almost 20-year-olds now. And oh, well. So I think about um, that my 20-year-olds are um, uh, spoiled, but they're great kids, <laughs> right? They're great kids. They have not um, felt like, um, I wouldn't say, suffered maybe uh, needs, like f- having food, having a shelter. You yeah. know, they have everything. So they haven't really what is it, experienced life. Maybe like some of us have. They've had it very easy. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, it's it could be a little worrisome. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think because of the path that I've come up in, that I want to make sure that these kids we're hiring, that we outfit them with all the right tools, mm-hmm. you know, the right training. Um, and law enforcement has evolved, you yeah. know. You know, we never talked about – uh, you know, uh, 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 what do you call it, um, substance abuse training and CIT training mm-hmm. and all this different training that was never something when I was coming up. And so, um, you know, we want people to know that, one, we're human beings. Yep. We are somebody's mom or somebody's daughter or somebody's wife or husband. It, that we're, at the end of the day, when this comes off, I'm Nancy or I'm mom, yeah. you know, I'm, and, and we have feelings and we have things that happen in our lives. We cry, we, you know, that we're normal people, you know, that our job, it's like, we don't have this shield that like nothing affects us. Yeah, you know, you're I not think, robots. Right. And people, you know, it's like, just remember that, that we're at the end of the day, we're still human beings, we, no matter what uniform or what we do for a living um that doesn't change who we are so well i want to thank you so much for for spending the time to talk with us for coming on the podcast assistant chief nancy brogdon of gastonia police department thank you so much thank Thank you. you